you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Amen. Uh, well, as we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I've got another announcement for you, which is actually really exciting. Um, there is some new ministry preachers and teachers that have uh, come. They're Jewish believers uh, in the Messiah. They've come from Israel, and they're actually in Geelong at the moment, and they're doing amazing work. There's been reports that in the name of Jesus, there's been signs and wonders. Uh, there's been reports that um, their preaching is, is compelling, that people are responding, um, and it's just extraordinary. So I'd like to let, let you know about that and, and maybe consider about whether or not we invite these new uh, preachers and teachers in Jesus to come and be part of our church ministry here. What do you think? Absolutely, you get some nods. Yeah, it, it sounds pretty exciting. Well, actually, this is what very similar had happened to the church in Corinth. Um, so I trapped you a little bit there. Um, sorry. Um, but in Corinth, some new and powerful Jewish believers were on a preaching ministry. And their preaching was compelling. They were very good at delivering the message. They used the name of Jesus a lot. And there was actually signs and wonders, apparently, that were coming along with their ministry. And uh, what had happened was that the Corinthian church has got these new preachers and teachers from Judea and Jerusalem, and they're comparing them with Paul. And the comparison does not seem to be very favorable. And so... uh, Throughout the letter of 2 Corinthians, and particularly today, Paul is at his most vulnerable. Um, The Corinthian church, the church he planted, has been criticizing him in comparison to these new teachers from Judea. They've been saying things about him that were wounding him, that, that were stinging him very deeply. And the book as a whole, and especially these chapters, are like, it, it's like you, you get a window into a 2,000-year-old conflict. Uh, you look in and you see some of Paul's heart, and it's breaking. He, he's upset. He's, it's thrown him. He's, he's, he's hurting. And you might ask, well, well, why would we bother looking through that window anyway? Like, why would we want to look at a 2,000-year-old conflict when we don't know Paul directly, we don't know the Corinthian church, and we don't know these teachers from Judea? So why would we look at this conflict now? And the answer is because the Holy Spirit has recorded it for us because you and I face the same temptation and the same danger as the Corinthians did long ago. We, like them, we need to learn about a topic that's uncomfortable, uh, a topic that is more than uncomfortable, it, 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 may, it troubles us, and the topic is false teaching. False teaching. So this morning, we're going to look at three things in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, which we need to know about false teaching. Three things. We're going to look at what is on the line with false teaching, why, what is the danger of it, and why the danger is so real with false teaching. And then we're going to finish by considering some very practical implications about false teaching and you. 
or false teaching and me, false teaching our church. So let's do that this morning. It's a heavy topic, but it's an important one. So firstly, what is on the line with false teaching? What's at stake? Well, Paul says, verse 11, chapter 11, verse 2, Listen to this, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Now, it's, Paul's using a metaphor here. He's using an illustration and it's like, it's a little bit difficult for us to grasp. He's saying, I'm like a matchmaker. Have you ever, have you ever set anybody up? You know, he's like, Paul's saying like, I set you up. I'm a matchmaker. Um, I've introduced the bride to her husband, and now I'm waiting for the wedding to take place. And I can't wait for it to happen. And Paul's analogy is really simple. He's saying, the pure and holy and beautiful virgin, the woman is the Corinthian church. The bridegroom, that is Jesus. And the wedding will be the final day when Jesus comes again to be with his people. Uh, what the New Testament calls the wedding supper of the Lamb. So he, he, Paul begins by saying, I've got a jealousy for you because I've introduced you, church, to Jesus and I can't wait for the day when Jesus comes back. What is on the line is their relationship with Jesus. That, that's what's at stake. So what is the danger? Verse three. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Uh, So Paul asked them to rewind, go all the way back to the beginning, and he says, I'm worried that it's gonna happen again. Eve in the garden encounters the serpent, Satan, with all of his cunning, And he deceives her with words that sounded good, but he he deceives her from trusting in God, from from the relationship that they enjoyed in the garden, God and humanity together in in just with no, no barriers, complete intimacy and all of that lost because of the deception and the cunning of Satan. And the danger for the Corinthians, Paul says, is wrong thinking. That their wrong thinking is going to lead them away. Instead of the bride, the Corinthian church, you know, waiting, or, you know, like the groom, you know, Jesus waiting at the front of the church for the wedding to come. And instead of the, the bride coming through the back and coming down the aisle, and instead, the bride is going to be deceived. That the wedding that should take place is not going to happen. And the danger is, as it was in Eden, that that relationship will be fractured and damaged. So that's what's at stake. That's the danger. And then why is the danger so dangerous? And the answer Paul gives us is because of the form in which it comes. That's why it's dangerous. Listen to how he explains it. Verse 13, the end of this reading. For such men... That's these Jewish believers, apparently, from Jerusalem. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, 
disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Why is this so dangerous? Because the false teaching looks so appealing. And the false teachers who bring it look so appealing. So if I, for example, um, I'm not going to, this, this, is, a, this is not, certainly not going to happen, but if I, if I had a landmine, right, right here in the aisle, and, and you're heading down to, to morning tea, and you can see this obviously incredibly dangerous explosive device sitting in the aisle, very few of you, unless you're severely visually challenged, are going to walk and step on that thing on the way to morning tea. You're going to go like, well, it's obviously dangerous. It's an OHS issue, so we'll get the church council onto that. But I'm not going to walk down that way. I'm going to make sure my family, we go down the side aisles and we go out to morning tea safely because, because that's a landmine. It could blow me to bits. It's very dangerous. But let me tell you about something that uh, the Russians did during the war in Afghanistan. Maybe you've heard this. They realized that an obvious landmine is going to be avoided by all. So what they did is they, they created a series of small landmines, enough to blow off a hand or a foot or, or take out someone's eyes. And you know what they did? They dropped them from the air, but they were created in the form of children's toys. Bright colors, sparkly, so attractive. And these little landmines would, would scatter across the landscape, and the idea was deliberately that the little children would come and play with them and lose a hand or lose an eye. And do you see why those toys were so dangerous? Because they look so appealing. You'll avoid the obvious disaster, the obvious destructive landmine, but the shiny toy that sparkles, well, that's different, isn't it? And so too when Satan does his best work. Paul says. When Satan does his best work, we, we don't get the smell of sulfur, right? We don't look down and see the cloven hook and the hoof and the forked tail and the pitchfork. When Satan does his best work, it seems to be good. It seems to be true. It seems to be appealing. Uh, Kent Hughes, one of the commentators, when he's talking about this verse, he says this, he says, the wolves in the church that devour sheep do not howl and bare their teeth. They come in sheep's clothing, smiling, reciting scripture, full of understanding, promising something more than Christ. So you see what's on the line here? And you can see why it's so very dangerous. Now, some really practical implications. And I've got Six of them, but don't worry, I'm going to move through fairly quickly. So first, as we think about false teaching, Paul's message to the Corinthian church, this letter is saying, be careful of focusing on the messenger more than the message. Be careful of focusing on the messenger more than the message. Now, we don't have an image or a statue uh, of Paul. Wouldn't it be great to have a photo of Paul that we could put up on the, on the screen? We don't, even, we don't even have, there's no artist's impressions, there's no drawings, but we do have an account that came from the early church of what Paul looked like. 
and it, from the first century, and this is what it says. Uh, Paul was a man of middling size, and his hair was scanty, and his legs were a little crooked, and his knees were projecting or far apart, and he had large eyes, and his eyebrows met in the middle, and his nose was somewhat long. And, and that was written by his friends. Uh, now imagine... Imagine Paul's online dating profile site. You know, small, bald man with eyebrows that meet and a big nose and knobbly knees seeks attractive young woman to share his life with. You know, like it's, I don't know if he's going to get too many hits. And on top of this, Paul was apparently not a very good speaker. Uh, he seems to own that. There's a guy called Eutychus that was, he was so bored by Paul's, Paul's teaching that he, he went to sleep and died and had to be raised to life. And some of you may need that this morning as well. But Paul's critics had a, had a point. He was not impressive as a messenger. Now, you and I would be tended to think of Paul as super impressive as a messenger, but that's not what it seems to have been like. And we need to beware of the messenger, or focusing on the messenger so much that we, we don't look at the message. And I'll give you one very clear example of the danger of that. Um, when I was at university, I studied um, the Weimar Republic and specifically the rise of Hitler. And uh, part of that course was, was examining the rhetorical, um, the, the, the magnetism of the speeches of Hitler leading up to, his, uh, to the Second World War. And so I watch those speakers, I don't speak German, but in one sense you don't need to because the rhetorical power was incredible. And if you've ever, I'm not encouraging you to watch those, those speeches necessarily, but it, it was, it, it's magnetizing the way that Hitler would communicate. Um, the messenger, you know, a small man with a mustache, and, but yet there was a, 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 like a, a magnetism in the way he presented, which was so influential. It changed a nation. It, it won a nation over. The messenger looked good. The message was evil. And as we look at 2 Corinthians, Paul's saying, be careful of focusing on the messengers instead of the message. It's like focusing on the wrapping paper of a Christmas gift rather than the gift itself. The speaker may speak with eloquent power or look so attractive and winsome and have a great pedigree like these Jewish believers did from Jerusalem and yet have a message that is evil. So watch out from getting sucked in by the messenger, the, the guy or girl that looks good and sounds so persuasive. Watch out for the messenger. And the second thing is, ask yourself, what is the message? So don't get sucked in by the messenger. Ask yourself, what is the message itself? And ask yourself, is the message new and exciting? And you go, well, I hope it is. I hope it's new and exciting. No. If the messenger comes and proclaims to speak in the name of Jesus with something that is new and exciting, then you should be suspicious. Um, in academic circles, original thought is a wonderful thing, and in the church, it's no exception. We love new and exciting things. We love Christian fads. If you've been a Christian for a little while, you know there's a whole lot of fads that come and go throughout the church. We, we love something that's new and exciting, but in terms of Christian ministry, new and exciting equals suspicious. It means danger. It means at least look at it carefully if someone claims that it's new and exciting. Why? 
Because the truth that is passed on to us down through the centuries, the truth about Jesus Christ, has been revealed to us fully in the Scriptures, new and exciting probably, probably equals heretical. It probably equals false teaching. So if the messenger comes and they present a new message that's really interesting and new and different and exciting, then be careful. Listen to what Paul says in 11 verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Paul's saying that these messengers, these false apostles are coming with a new Jesus, a new gospel, a new spirit, and the Corinthians are saying, this is so exciting and interesting, bring it on. They're getting sucked in because a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel, there's only one Jesus. There's only one gospel. There's only one spirit. Anything else is counterfeit and false. No matter how shiny And interesting, it appears, 2,000 years of church history tells us that the new and the exciting and the shiny is almost certainly false. Be careful. That's, and you might say, why did we preach the scriptures week by week here at Sidonia Hill? Because I'll tell you why, if you are a new Christian or you are biblically illiterate and poor, you are vulnerable. You're vulnerable to the latest fad, to the latest shiny thing that postures as if it's good and true. If it's new and it's different, it's probably heretical. Thirdly, beware of judging fruits too soon. Beware of judging the fruits of ministries too soon. I'll give you an example. Um, I once uh, begged and scraped my way into a ministry conference in Sydney that I really wanted to go to. Uh, There was uh, two of the, the speakers in that conference were famous Bible teachers whose um, commentaries filled my shelf and filled my shelf to this day. The third one, though, made those other two speakers look like tawdry and boring. He was the new thing. Uh, He was an incredibly gifted speaker. He was very funny. Uh, He had a real gift of of magnetizing a room. and, And I scraped my way into that ministry conference in Sydney because I wanted to see him. And I kind of scorned the other two men at that conference that day, and especially after the conference, because after the conference, these two other teachers started to criticize my hero. Uh, They started to say things that I thought, oh, they're just envious, they're just jealous, because God's doing so much through him, and he's not doing as much through them, so they're, they're just throwing stones because they're jealous. Until eventually, uh, the spectacular speaker, his ministry was exposed, The fruit was revealed and it was not all that it seemed to be. In fact, it was in many cases very harmful. And here's the deal. Just because someone speaks in the name of Jesus doesn't mean that they are from Jesus. Right? So just from someone says, hey, I'm I'm a Christian and I'm a speaker and I'm speaking the truth doesn't mean that it's true. Uh, in 1 John, the Apostle John, in chapter 1 John 4, verse 1, says this, Beloved, speaking to the church, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out 
into the world. And I said, many false prophets have gone out into the world. Scripture speaks about that all the time, that there will be false prophets then and now who will claim the name of Jesus, but will actually be false, will be speaking lies. And the Bible urges Christians to test and discern, not be gullible. Um, Being a Christian and being gullible are not like, they should actually be mutually exclusive. Often Christianity and gullibility, we seem to combine them together. Being a Christian does not mean that we are gullible. The Apostle John says, test the spirits. Now, if, if a false prophet will often cry, you're a Pharisee. You're questioning my ministry. You're like the Pharisees who questioned the ministry of Jesus. No. The Bible urges us to to use our brains and use our hearts and, and compare what we see in the Scriptures with the person who claims to be speaking in the name of Jesus and make a, a careful decision. Fourth, and this is a big one, beware of self-appointed and self-commended Christian leaders and teachers. Uh, This is what the the super apostles from Jerusalem were doing. Uh, They were pointing to themselves. They were commending themselves. They were calling themselves the new apostles. And they were preaching a message, but they were pointing to themselves. Now, there is true that in every Christian community, there, there are some people who will, who will want leadership. They'll want to be up, up the front. They'll want to be in positions of authority. That, and, and in one sense, that is not a bad thing. Uh, Paul says elsewhere, he says, if you desire to be a deacon or an overseer, you desire a noble task. It's good. But he also says, but they need to be tested and discerned. It needs to be, it's not... There are some people who want these things too much. They want that position too much. Now, for example, I know people who would say that they are capital P prophets. So they would say that when I speak, it's like the Apostle Paul is speaking. No, I'm a capital P prophet. I, I know some people like this. Other people would say that, that I'm, a, I'm an exorcist or I'm a, um, I've got the spiritual gift of this or that. Now, I want to say that I do certainly believe that the Spirit continues to give the gifts to his people. But what I'm saying is just because someone says they're a big P prophet or they're a, they've got the gift of discernment or they've got whatever other gift it is, it doesn't mean that they do. Because remember, false teachers are out there, so we need to discern the gifts and beware of people who come and point to themselves. So uh, someone at church here um, a few weeks ago put me on to um, a woman who is in Australia at the moment. Uh, her name is capital A, Apostle Catherine Crick. So capital A, Apostle, right? Not small A, Apostle would be like a church planter in the, in the spiritual gifts. Capital A, Apostle is like, you've got you know, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, um, the Apostle John, and the Apostle Catherine Crick. You know, like they're all together. Now, I don't know enough about Catherine Crick to make an authoritative judgment on where she stands, but claiming the capital A Apostle, it makes me suspicious. Um, And then doing some research and discovering that she got this title from a Tanzanian leader who wears a golden crown and, um, and drives on his Range Rover into meetings while people throw palm branches before him. 
Seems a little bit suspicious to me. Seems like it's, it's pointing towards himself. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 10, 17. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Be careful of anyone who points to themselves more than they point to Jesus Christ. Be careful of anyone who takes on titles for themselves and proclaims that because they have this self-appointed title that you have to listen to them and believe what they say. Beware. False teachers, false prophets will always point to themselves. True teachers will always point away from themselves. They'll say, it's about Jesus. It's about him. It's not about me. It's a, it's a, I'm a, like John the Baptist. I, I'm pointing, pointing, pointing to Jesus, not to myself. Beware of self-commending leaders. Second, last, fifthly, beware when it becomes all about money. This is another big one with false teaching. Notice in verse seven, Paul says, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you, free of charge? Uh, What Paul is saying is a lot of his criticism from the Corinthian church was that not only are you unimpressive physically, and not only are you not a very good speaker, but you don't charge big fees. Like these super apostles come from Judea and, and, and they're lapping up the money, but, but you won't receive it. So you're obviously not a bona fide you know, preacher of God's gospel. And Paul's saying, no, I, I preach the gospel to you for free. Other people are supporting my ministry and, and so that you can get the gospel for free. These guys are coming and they're fleecing you. They're wanting your money. And as sadly... This, uh, th- this tendency in false teachers is alive and well today. It's all about money, 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 money. Now, I've got to say, Paul spent two chapters talking about money. If you were last week, you'll know. He's not afraid to talk about money. He's not afraid to raise money. He's not afraid to say, money is a matter of your heart. You need to give it for your own sake. But that's a different thing from accruing money, from making it all about money. Listen to what uh, Peter says about false prophets in 2 Peter 2.1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will be secretly bringing in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Listen to this. And in their greed... They will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. See what Peter says? In their greed, they will exploit the church with false words. In their greed for money, they will use their position and their teaching ability to get money for themselves. Beware of Christian leaders who use Jesus to get money. Let me tell you, here's a little plug. That's why you should go to the annual general meeting of whatever church you're a part of, right? It's one reason. You should go to the AGM because you could say, well, what happens to the money? How was it used? Is it, is it stewarded? Where does it go? And, and so many Christians are like, I, I can't be bothered with those kind of things. No. No, you should be 
checking that the money that you give is used in accordance with the scriptures and in a way that is wise. You should do that. Sixthly and finally, before we conclude, and this is a really important thing, beware of using the term false teacher too lightly or too quickly. You know what I mean? Someone has a ministry which you disagree with because it's not what your church teaches or believes or something or other, and so you say false teacher, workers of the evil one, you know, um, angels masquerade, demons masquerading as angels. It's so easy to do um, because maybe we don't understand it or we're, we, we just feel that God should be working through us and our circles, and if he works through anybody else or any of circles, then we're suspicious of it. That's not what Paul is teaching about. There's a beautiful diversity in the church of Jesus Christ. There are people of different denominations and and with different views about secondary issues that God is using incredibly and always has done. So we need to be careful about, about attributing to the devil what God might actually be doing. Jesus warned us about this, actually. It's a very serious thing to do. It was actually the sin of the Pharisees. And we also need to be careful that we don't, when, when I say anything new and exciting is, is probably heresy, we also need to be aware of, of attributing to, that to revivals of the Spirit, where the Holy Spirit falls again and does, it, it reawakens not new things, but the truth of the original things. Like it comes to life and sometimes things that are unusual happen around those things. And if you look at the history of revivals, there were always men and women who said, oh, that's of the devil because it's not what we're used to. That's not what we do as Anglicans or whatever it is, so it's got to be of the devil. So beware of these things, but be aware. Also remember those words of Paul that an angel doing a work of God and a demon masquerading as an angel of light can appear very similar. That's the point that Paul's making. It's dangerous because it's alluring and it's deceptive. So Be careful, but don't automatically judge that this is of the devil or this is of Satan. So let's conclude. So do we welcome these Jewish preachers who are in Geelong? Do we we invite them here to maybe preach next week on Sunday? Do we we let them have um, a ministry session in our church? It depends. It depends. Just because they're Jewish believers and they say they're preaching in the name of Jesus does not mean that we will welcome them here because the Bible would say we shouldn't. We should be careful. We should use the brains that God has given us. We should not be gullible. We should ask, well, what are the, not take our eyes off the messengers. Let's look at the message. Is it all about money? Are they pointing to themselves? What's the fruit of this ministry? We should ask those kind of questions and then prayerfully come before God and say, yes, we will have them here to share the word of God or no, we won't. And by the way, there aren't, I'm not aware of any Jewish believers in Geelong at the moment, just in case you're wondering. But hypothetically, Paul in Ephesians um, urges us this, and this is my prayer for us, and then I'm gonna pray for us this very thing uh, as I've read it. So Ephesians chapter four, verse 13 says this. Let's keep doing this until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So let's pray. Pray that we'd be open to false teaching, not into inviting it in, but to discerning it and rejecting it. But most of all, we would be mature in Christ. So let's pray. Our Father, we come this morning and we are very aware that there are shiny things that are actually false things. And there, there are true things that are not so appealing on the surface and yet are the very words of God. And so Lord, we pray um, against false teachers. We know that they are around the church now as they were then. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, guard against them for us as a church community, that we would be grounded on the truth of your spirit and the truth of your scriptures, that our eyes would be open, that we would not be sucked in by the latest fads or the latest winds of doctrine. But Father, we ask that as a church community, we would be rooted on Jesus Christ, that we would be living for Jesus Christ, that there would only be one gospel, one spirit. And Lord, that we would not be deceived by those that would take us away from our love for you and our service for you. We look forward to the great wedding supper of the Lamb. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to learn from the Corinthians. Help us, Lord, to be fully mature in Christ until you come and take us, our great bridegroom, take us as your bride. And so, Lord, we ask these things and we, we thank you uh, for your word, which is so uncompromising. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.